0: How many love the word of God? I want you to go to Luke chapter two. We're going to spend some time here the next couple weeks, and um, this is Christmas time, and uh, we're going to spend some time uh, on the Christmas story. and uh, I-, I love, honestly, every year uh, when we get along around Christmas time. There are only so many passages of scripture that you can use when you're preaching at Christmas time. All right, this is not like you know, this it's not time for a great message on apologetics. All right, when we're talking about Christmas, we're talking about Jesus and Him coming to Earth. We look at that story. So I meditate every year on every passage of scripture that talks about. Jesus being born, the birth of Jesus, prophecies that spoke about Jesus coming. And so I want to look, look at Luke chapter 2, and for the next couple of weeks, key in on one specific phrase. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. Now listen to this. Because there was no place for them in the inn. Now you've probably heard this a thousand times, but I, I want to speak for the next couple of weeks about this phrase, there was no place for them in the end. You, you know, I, I, I think that more than ever before as a culture, we are over scheduled. We're, we're calling this series overbooked. We're overbooked. We, we have no margin. We're more depressed. We're more anxious. In, in fact, it's more rare to hear about someone that's not tired than someone that is tired. I, I notice it's, it's almost like a reactionary response. Someone asks you how you are, and it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just slammed, but, you know, I'm getting by. I, I could have nothing on the calendar, and that's probably my response. It's like, man, I'm just so busy, man, just so busy. Busy with what? I don't know. I'm just oof, busy, I'm stressed. It's like, man, how you feeling? I'm just tired, man. I'm just exhausted. Why? We, so some of us, we're tired just because we're tired. We don't, even, we don't even know why. We're stressed because we're stressed. It's almost become accepted to be tired and to be stressed. We live in a time where, it's, you know, decades ago, you didn't even hear about anxiety. This is like, man, that was just like a bad day, you know. It's just like our grandparents, man, they didn't even know about anxiety. They'd be like, man, just just go to bed, get up tomorrow, and go to work again, and you'll be all right. Now everybody's anxious, everybody's stressed, everybody's overbooked. I don't I don't know if you've flown recently, but I think ever since the pandemic, they're overbooking flights at an alarming level, and uh, it's like, it, it just seems, I'm a guy, I like my personal space, all right? I don't like the battle for the armrest. You know. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they go to the bathroom, and you're like, yes. <laughs> Fortify, and then you just don't, I don't like my arm touching their arm, all right? That's just not my, that's, that's not my thing. I need a row, I don't need a seat, I need, I need a row. And uh, a couple years ago, I flew Southwest Airlines, some of you guys are big Southwest fans. Um, I, I like the prices. I do not like the method in which they board because it's mayhem. It's like, may the best man win. You, you know this is just like, man, just, just go, guys. Whoever can get the best seat, get it. And then someone's sitting there on the aisle, and they glare at you when you come down the aisle. Like, don't you dare sit here. It's like, all right, you know, I'm, I'll just go to the back next to the lavatory. They're overbooked. We're overbooked. Wait, this, this is what it means to be overbooked. No margin. We're overbooked emotionally. We're overbooked financially. Do you know what it means to be overbooked financially? It means you, you have more month at the end of your money. You ever been there? It's like the money's gone, but the month... It, no margin. And if you don't have margin, you live in a consistent state of stress. Money doesn't bring happiness, but I'm going to tell you this, margin definitely helps. To, to, to not have the, the weight, right, the holidays, people are spending money, things are more expensive than they've ever been, and you feel the, the, the weight, because there's no margin. If you have margin, you can breathe. And it's so interesting to me that Christmas is about Jesus coming, and the Bible declares that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and yet Christians don't have peace. That's actually pretty embarrassing to me that he would come, one of his chief modes, one of his chief modus operandi, the, the mo, his, his reason of coming was to bring peace. And so many of us live without peace. It says in, in the passage of Scripture that when they came to the inn, there was no, there was no room for him. Now, if you, if you study this, this passage of Scripture out, it wasn't like a hotel. It's not a holiday inn. It wasn't Ritz-Carlton or Four Seasons. It's probably like a, uh would probably be like a home or like a gathering place where they would rent out rooms. And there was no room that was available to him. I don't know if we have any of these people in the room, but you know on Airbnb when you can select... Are you renting a room or a house? Some of y'all are crazy to rent a room. I, I don't want that option to ever exist. That needs to be, disappear right now. I am staying in my car or a house by myself. There is no way I am going to get in a house with a stranger and stay in the guest room. I'm like laying there like, I would, I would never sleep. I'm like, I don't know who they are renting their room out. That's just freaky. Some of you do it. I'm sure it's great. That's scary. Like, I'm... Car, homeless, or the whole house. That's my options. Then most theologians believe it was kind of it was the original Airbnb rental room, and that it was no room, and people would gather around a, a common space or fire. There'd be stables, there'd be all kinds of room there. And because there was no room available, and it was time for Mary to have the baby if we have any moms in the room. There is a time where you have a baby and you don't get to choose anymore. Like the baby is coming now. Because it was that time for her to have the baby, they had him in the manger. And it says because there was no room for him in the inn. And I just started to think about our own lives being overbooked and overworked and overscheduled with zero margin and i'm just wondering if when god tries to speak to us tries to minister to us if we're not just overbooked if that there's no room in our hearts in our lives in our homes for god to really do what he wants to do you know the, the christmas story is wild because there's thou- there are thousands of scriptures hundreds of prophecies that speak to the coming of the messiah so some of you, like, this is like, you're not interested in this. You can just, like, go to sleep for about three minutes. But this, this is incredible. There were over 365 prophecies that foretold the coming of a Jewish Messiah. 365 prophecies. Now, these were not like, hey, next year, so, this is like, The span of 700 years, prophecies are being given that there will be a a Savior that will come. There will be a wonderful counselor, a Prince of Peace. There will be a, a Son of God, born of a virgin. All these prophecies that were being said. Of the 365, there are 109 of them that only Jesus fits the criteria to fulfill that his life. It was prophesied that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Now, this is interesting because Joseph and Mary didn't live in Bethlehem, right? Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth. So it just so happened that in Joseph's lifetime, that King Herod calls a census. This didn't happen every year. This was like a big deal, maybe once in your lifetime. And they called the census, and because they called the census, it just so happened that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. Not only was that an anomaly, that she just happened to be pregnant, and just happened to be due, at the time that they got to Bethlehem. It was almost like God set it up. Did did you know that if she had the baby before they got to Bethlehem, it would break biblical prophecy? If she would have had the baby after they left Bethlehem and went back to Nazareth, it would break biblical prophecy. And I'll show you why. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, over 700 years before the birth of Jesus says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. This is Micah prophesying the Messiah. That Jesus would come seven hundred years later, Luke chapter two, verse four, so Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David, where he belonged to the house and to the line of David the, so now, because he was born in the line of David, which is another prophecy, Bible scholars you will know this that he was born in the line of David and and now he 's in Bethlehem, and because of the census he had they have Jesus. This is another prophecy. The Messiah would be born of a virgin and would be called Emmanuel. Now, this is interesting. Like when we begin to decipher God, some of us, like if you've ever tried to figure out the will of God and you want the thing to happen, you're like, all right, if a car passes me on the freeway today, I'm going to know it's God, right? (laughs) If the sun sets tonight, it's definitely God. It's like, we, we do these kind of things. Isaiah chapter 7 says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. All right, so like what kind of sign is he going to give us? Like, is it going to be an easy sign, sun setting, car passing? Is it, he says this will be the sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. It, God set himself up like in the highest degree of difficulty. This was not an easy one. Like, this might happen, you know? In the, in the year the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, I got some possibility. My heart's still hurting. Great game Thursday. Nice to see my dad lost a bet and sworn wearing a Cowboys jersey on the front row. <laughs> it wasn't like an easy thing. God put himself up against the highest degree of difficulty. He says there's going to be a virgin when she conceives and you call him Emmanuel. That's the guy. So then, fast forward to Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Mary said, How will this be since I am a virgin? So now we've identified the virgin. This is the sign. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, God sets the whole thing up in the right time, in the right way, in the right location so that people would know he's the guy. This is the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? The one that will save our people from Their sins. The Bible says this, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Came to seek and to save that which was lost. So this is the plan and the handiwork of God that sent Jesus. This is not just like a good storybook that writes up a good hero by the name of Jesus who saves the people from their sins. This is the divine strategy of heaven that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, the Messiah, that he would come, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would live, that he would die, that he would be raised from the dead. This is wild, all of these prophecies. And you walk through the story, Jesus is born in the manger, and we're here. And they say there was no room for him in the end. No room for this guy? No room for the Messiah? No room for Jesus? We just talked about who he is. In some hotel? Some Airbnb? is saying, Yeah, we don't have space. I would be kicking out anybody. I'm like, you gotta go. You gotta go. You didn't pay anyways, you gotta go. You look scary, you gotta go. Like, you look shady, you gotta go. All right? Cousin, gotta go. Uncle, gotta go. Like, it doesn't matter. Jesus is here. Jesus, but he says there was no room for him. I I think the innkeeper kind of gets like a bad rap in the Bible. Because he's probably just like a normal innocent guy. But we're always like, you turned away Jesus. You know, it's like this dude is the devil. He's probably just a normal guy. But I started to just kind of, I took some freedom, made some assumptions of what the innkeeper might have been thinking. Why didn't he make space for Jesus? Perhaps the innkeeper was too busy for Jesus maybe he was just too busy. This is the time of the census. This is the time where this little town of Bethlehem all of a sudden becomes overran with people that came from Bethlehem that were born there and moved out. This is the little town that everyone's coming back to for the census. all right This is the, Bethlehem's the place that you move out of. Anybody come from a small town? it's like. First success in my life was moving out. All right. So this is Bethlehem. Bethlehem's not famous. Bethlehem's not big. Now they come back to Bethlehem because of the census. So it's probably the busiest time in the career of this innkeeper. And so because he was so busy, perhaps he couldn't make space for Jesus. And I started thinking, I wonder if sometimes it's not our lack of sincerity or it's not even our lack of desire. It's that for many of us, we just get too busy. We're too busy to invest in spiritual growth and spiritual development. We're too busy to commit. We're too busy to serve. We're, too, we're spread too thin. Can, can I just tell you this? Anything that rivals Anything that comes against your spiritual growth and development has to bow to that development. That it has to be the highest priority and of the highest importance. I love sports. I watch sports all the time. I I spend way too much time in the ESPN app. I watch press conferences, post-game, pre-game. I love it. But whenever my love for sports gets in the way of my spiritual development, it has to bow. My boys love sports. They watch it all the time. They want to fall asleep watching it. It's Probably not good for them. Last night they did. They fell asleep watching LeBron. And, and, and they 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 sorry, Pastor. They, not a LeBron fan. Sorry, purely basketball admiration. They 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 love they love it. They like playing it. They play it every night of the week. I'm like, man, they're exhausted. They played five games this weekend. Before you know it, they're on the field. they playing again because they, they love it. But whenever their love for sports or commitment to sports begins to rival their spiritual development, sports will go really fast because there is nothing more important than making room or opening your home, your house, your heart to spiritual growth and development. Friends, the Bible says that your life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And the only thing that lasts, the only thing that really matters is the legacy you leave in your family and the disciples you make for Jesus. Whatever you do for the kingdom is the thing that lasts. There is not a scholarship. There is not an accolade. There is not an achievement that is going to last when you die. It dies with you. Your stuff, your houses, your properties, your popularity, your your social media. It dies with you. The only thing that lasts is what we do for the kingdom. And I just wonder if it's not because we don't want to do the right thing. It's just for many of us, we're stretched. We're overbooked. It's so busy. And like we getting this. We have like Christmas parties every night of the week. It's like you can't even enjoy Christmas because we're Christmasing. Like, why do we even set up the tree? We're not even there to enjoy it. It's like everyone's having parties and keeping us from enjoying the, the season. We're so busy. And then you start saying stuff like, well, that's important. That can't move. I can't stop that. They have to be there, they have to. You, you know, everything is unmovable until something more important gets in the way. Isn't that the truth? Emergency happens, crisis happens, someone calls, all of a sudden now, doesn't matter that you missed the event, missed the game, missed the, because whoa, no, this is serious now. Friends, what if we took our own spiritual development as seriously as we take some of our trivial commitments? Said no. We have to invest. We have to give. We've got to. We've got to grow ourselves spiritually. He's just too busy. Perhaps the innkeeper was unaware of Jesus. Maybe he was busy. Maybe he was just unaware. Maybe he just didn't have a clue what was happening, which would be rare and which would be a little bit sad for him because in that day, they knew Jewish law and Jewish prophecy more than we know our Bibles. They knew that a Messiah was coming. They knew that a Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. In fact, many of them were experts in the law, and the prophecies pointed to Bethlehem. They should have been checking everybody at the gate, saying, maybe this is him. Maybe this is him. But some people, honestly, it's not lack of, again, sincerity. It's just unawareness that this life is really about him. It's not even because some people are running from God. It's just an unawareness that this life is supposed to be for him. It's an unawareness that I will not be satisfied. I will not be fulfilled. I cannot find lasting joy or lasting peace outside of him. It, it's, it's not rebellion. It's unawareness. It's just unawareness of how important or how crucial this is is you you know the bible all throughout the scripture it talks about the power of seeking god of actually intentionally looking for him some of us are like well if god ever wants to speak to me he will if god ever wants to show up he will no friends god did show up he sent his son born of a virgin fulfilled 365 prophecies he sent him now It is the onus is on his people to seek him, to not be unaware that he is available, but to intentionally desire and to seek after him with everything we are. First Chronicles chapter 16, 11 says, look to the Lord in his strength, seek his face always proverbs eight seventeen says i love those who love me and those who seek me find me jeremiah 29 13 says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart psalm 63 1 you god are my god earnestly i seek you i thirst for you my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29 says but if you but if from there you seek the lord your god you will find him If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Psalm 9 verse 10 says those who know your name trust in you. For you Lord have never forsaken those who seek you. You know some people are just unaware that you can find God. You are waiting for God to find you. And God is waiting for you to open your home, to open your heart, to open your life. And the moment that you, in fact, I'll say it this way. James says, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Some people wait their whole life for God to break through the hardness of their heart. And God is waiting for the seeker to say, God, I want you. I desire you. I need you. And I believe this, that God is raising up seekers in our church that are not just content to feast on someone else's revelation or someone else's experience, but there is holy desire and hunger that's in us that says, God, I want to seek you for me. I'm looking for you for my family, for my people. For I'm not just waiting for someone else to do it for me. I am aware that if I make room for you, if I seek you, I will find you. Next one, perhaps, perhaps the innkeeper was just not expecting Jesus. So maybe he was busy, maybe he was just unaware, maybe he just was not expecting. Now, I'll I'll put this in our world for a moment. Many of us, we've believed God for miracles or for breakthrough or for healing or for provision. I think healing's a big one that people believe God for. And then sometimes it seems like the healing doesn't happen right away. And so after a while, we stop expecting God to heal, and we settle in to this must be our lot in life. This must be what I'm, this is my thorn in the flesh. This is the cross that I have to carry. This is the burden that I'm going to have to walk through life with. I'm going to tell you this. Jesus didn't die for you to be halfway healed or halfway free. Jesus died so that you could be free and free indeed. So what he's looking for in his people is to have an expectation that remains. That says, God, we believe that you will do what you said. Well, what if I don't see it for 12 years? Then I keep believing. Like the woman with the issue of blood who suffered for 12 years, but in one moment and one day she was instantaneously and supernaturally healed. But we talked about this a couple of months ago. The immediately was connected to a journey. So I wonder, and this innkeeper must have been studied in Jewish law and new prophecies. And so I'm sure when Micah first gave the prophecy, there was people that were expectant and waiting and watching for the Messiah. But probably after 100 years, people stopped expecting. So when somebody rolled up and Joseph just happened to drop, yeah, my wife was a virgin. She got married by the Holy Spirit. And she's about to have this baby. They're like, I don't know. I don't know if that's a sign. Everybody's saying stuff. Oh, yeah, you got a healing, yeah. I mean, I've heard that happens for some people, just not for me. The moment you stop expecting God is the moment you cut yourself off from the power of God. God's power is always connected to our expectation. God's power is always connected to our faith. So when your faith dries up and your expectation dries up, God's power dries up. Now, I'm gonna qualify it. His power is still his power. We cut ourselves off from our access to it by letting go of our expectation or our faith to, for, uh, our faith to believe that he will do what he said he's going to do. Does this make sense? That, that some of us, we are just not expecting. That's why sometimes you can come to church and you can just never receive anything because you're not expecting anything. You can sit in a prayer time and you're like i did it i didn't hear anything nothing happened it's because you didn't expect anything that's why we're we we're teaching how to hear the voice of god because when you begin to discern his voice and you take action steps to hear you begin to hear god begins to speak but for some of us not only are we busy or we're we're unaware we just have stopped expecting in fact we, if you, if you put a sign over our house, it would be what's said in Luke 2, there's just no room for you, God. And what a travesty in our lives where God wants to walk with us, be with us, help us, speak to us, minister to us, set us free, is that we have no room for him because we have been so full, so cluttered, so crowded with trivial things. I said that I, I, every year I meditate on like all of the... The, the, the Christmas story, all the passages talking about Jesus' birth. And I was reading Luke chapter two and I just read it over and over and, and I'm reading it. And Luke chapter two has an interesting passage of scripture that is not the best parenting, okay? I'm gonna, not, I'm gonna give you a bad example of parenting, but it's in Luke chapter two. Jesus is growing up a little bit. All right, Bible says he's 12 years old. Luke chapter two, verse 41. says every year... Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. All right, Bad parenting lesson number one. You leave your kid in a different city on a road trip and you don't know. Luckily, they're on donkeys and not in cars because he's not too far behind, but he's behind. Thinking he was in their company, this gets worse, assumptions. All right, we're going to do a parenting class out of Luke chapter 2. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Some of you are like, yep, that's right. I would leave my kid. Never know. 24 hours, 24 hours apiece. I'll take it. Then they begin looking. They didn't even start looking for him until after a day. This man's been missing for 12 hours, maybe 24. He says, now they begin to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts. Y'all reading what I'm reading? Three days, they're looking for Jesus. They have lost the Messiah. 365 prophecies, gone. 700 years of prophetic revelation and faith, gone. Because they lost Jesus? Man, I would have had that, that boy on a... Le- Sometimes leashes are needed, you know? So I'd have that guy. Jesus, you're staying with us, man. This is... You are too precious. This is too important. You're staying with They didn't even look for him for a day. Man, he's, he's gone. I don't know. He must be with Uncle Fred. I hadn't seen him for a while. Then they started looking for him and took two more days to find him. It says, says... Uh, after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Listen to this. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Have you? It took 24 hours to start the search. How anxious are you? I was reading this over and over. Holy Spirit just began to speak to me. I wonder how many of us in our busyness have left things behind and not even known. Can I tell you where your relationship with God is? It's not in some new church or new leader or new. Your relationship with God is right where you left it. When Mary and Joseph went, they went back, Jesus was in the same place they left him at. Sometimes in your walk with God, your love for Him burns hot, and sometimes it burns a little cooler. And there are times in the journey that you have to stoke the fire of spiritual fervor to say, I, I've got to get back to where I was. And friends, it's not a new program or a new, a new study method or a new. He set the same place you left Him, maybe at the place of disappointment maybe at the place of someone disappointing you maybe at the someone place of someone hurting you or maybe at the place of hurt in church and you left church but you left him too and i just would hate for you to go through this season and to step into a brand new year and for god to look at the door of your house and say there's no room there for me there's no room there And I'll give you a lot of practical things and how you make room for God, but I'm gonna tell you one most important. It's the most simple and it's the most effective. And it's called worship. Worship is a welcome sign to God. Worship opens your house, it opens your heart and opens your life. You're saying, well, if I they sing my favorite song, I'll be worship is not a song. Worship is an attitude of the heart that says, God. I'm moving things out of the way. I'm seeking you first. I, my mind, my heart, my will is focused on you. There is nothing more important right now than you. It's adoration. It's priority. It's we we use music to aid us in worship. But worship is not music. Worship is that place in the heart that says, "God, Nothing else is more important. If you worshiped someone in your life, it's, you're saying that they're more important to you than anybody else. That you value and you put more weight on their opinion, on their, their words, than anybody else. So when we worship God, we say, my job doesn't come close to you. My boys' sports, they don't come close to you. This earthly satisfaction, it doesn't come, that's worship. Worship is costly. Worship is an establishing of priority. We worship God. We welcome God. So I have a challenge for you. As we end 2023 and we step into 2024, everyone's going to make New Year's resolutions in 2024. I'm going to challenge you to start early by doing this. Lord, my heart is open to you. So that means you're going to actually work on, not outside of Outside of even in church, and I would say this, because you're here, it's, the reason that you're here is because you're trying to open your house. You're trying to open your heart. This is spiritual development. This is, you're doing good. You deserve a pat on the back. You did good. You're in the house of God. You're here. you spi- Now, in your week, begin to open your heart. Open your life. Wherever your spiritual journey is, and wherever spiritual life is at, I'm telling you, it can be about a thousand times better, more vibrant, more full than what it... God is an untapped resource. And the more you experience of Him, the more you will learn of Him. The more you go after Him, the more you will find there is a lot to go after And what I'm trying to do even in these weeks is stir holy desire in us to not be cluttered with the cares of this world and the cares of this life, but to clean house so that you can welcome God. I, um, every couple months probably, I can feel, when I feel stress, I got to do something like really like um, proactively. So... One of my tells is if I'm stressed, then I'm, like, online shopping or buying hunting care. It's like, wow, I got to stop. I got to stop. It's like people start checking in on me. Wow, I, start, I noticed you bought something new for the house. Are you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I just, you know. Or this is the other thing I do is I have to clean house. I like to throw things away. Anybody like to, like, just like clean it out like that? It just feels so good. It feels so good. Just like throw it all away. It's probably valuable. I don't care. Just get it out. Oh, it looks good. I feel like what the Holy Spirit's doing in our church, maybe in your life, he's cleaning house. And you might be attached maybe even to some of the things he's cleaning. But when you make space for him, he'll fill the space. And I don't know who this is for. The Holy Spirit told me to say this. I didn't say it in the last service. I felt this so strong during worship as I've been preaching. Some of you, you do not want a clean house because you're holding on to some things from the past. And I have a word for you from God that if you are faithful to surrender what's in you to God, God will fill you with something that's better than the thing that you gave up. God will never ask you to give something up, that he will not give you something better in return. So if God's starting to pull something from you, give it to him willingly, because what God's about to give you will be better than the thing that you just gave up. We're cleaning house. We're making room. We're making space. So that when God shows up at the door of your life, it's not a no vacancy. It's not a overbooked. It's not a there's no room. It's God come on in.